Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on After the JAG Corps Navigating Your Career Progression, we're talking to Case Thomas, a retired Army JAG. Case, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hello, my friend. Glad to be here. So, Case, I saw on your profile you're a West Point grad and a Hook'em Horns Law School graduate through the Funded Legal Education <laughs> Program. How many years did you do in the United States Army? I did 20 and a half before we retired. I assume you did the smorgasbord of JAG work while you were in the Army. Sure. I mean, I did. A, I lived a grand adventure, quite frankly, one I didn't deserve from combat with Special Operations Forces to the Associate Dean of the Army JAG School to a lot of line units, which I was drawn to. That's my favoriteest place to be. So yeah, I lived a, just a, a joyous when I look back and go, man, what an adventure. And I know the folks we're talking to are living that or did or are in the middle of it. It's an extraordinary thing, but we, um, we had quite a ride. 20 and a half years, you got out. Just after being able to qualify for a pension, what went in your decision to retire when you did? Yeah, it's a great, fair question. I talked to lots of folks about this that are considering the the transition, and you know, there's all those theories. And go until you're not having fun. You know, all those, and they're important to hear. What was unique about the Thomas adventure was we were having fun, and I was in a very humbling job as a deputy in a numbered division, a warfighter unit, and. By all accounts, the Corps was very kind about maybe what we would get to do in the future. And I sat there amongst that wonderful chaos of a large team dealing with complexity, hundreds of lawyers and paralegals in a giant warfighter unit. And I, I was actually, I had one of those standing desk thingies that I, I took out and was staying there. And I had literally, it washed over me. Like it washed over me that it was time to retire. And, you know, over the years, we talked about it. We're one of those that believes you talk about it every phase line. You know, we have an honest conversation. There are those that know they're going to stay till 20 and 30, and that's wonderful. But we we were always one of those families that at each time we had a decision point, we'd talk about it at the time, and we just kept going. And when we got to 20, we weren't necessarily thinking of getting out, and then this hits me. And so I struggled with that. I was like, whoa, this is weird. Didn't expect it. And then we got to the real nitty-gritty of what that was about. So in our view, the decision was sort of made for us. We just had to reconcile how we got there. So I'll tell you, it was decided that day. So the only reason I mention that here is because I don't really hear a lot of people talking about it in that way. And it just hit us really hard. And, and we were, you know, all the logical stuff. Do we stay longer? You know, maybe the next promotion, if we're lucky to get promoted, you know, yada, yada, yada. All the technical stuff really was in one way irrelevant. And so it was a kind of a shocker to us, but very real. And I would urge people to give light to that inner voice, right? When you feel it, you got to be real honest about it. And then I have some methods I'd recommend about how to do that. But for us, it was... None of all the things we'd heard all the years, right? Yeah. It was it was just it just hit us like a a truck. I was a little confused, but it was very organic and it was the right decision for us. Where were you physically located when that feeling came? Yeah, well, we're we were in El Paso, Texas at First Armored Division. I was literally in my office. I had an extraordinary team. I think we were dealing with some changes to the NDA, it was impacting our criminal practice, CG, because the nature of the unit is getting pinged from all sorts of directions. And you know, just the admin and laws on fire, you know, wonderful, amazing stuff. And I was literally standing at my desk and it just hit me on the spot. I'll never forget it. So you were in your home state. So what did you do next? Did you put in papers or did you start putting out feelers and networking? How did you approach retirement at that point? Mm. Well, first, a nugget of wisdom for our, our JAG friends, brothers and sisters out there. 
This is a thing I have mentioned to many considering it. You have to be real honest with yourself, truly gutturally honest about staying or going. And the way we kind of couch it is when you're sitting on that front patio one day with a juice box or a glass of wine or a beer, would you have more regret if you stayed or if you left? And you have to be honest about that. And it's a guttural call because you can think, oh, a few more years to more retirement, make the next grade, all those things that can keep one in. And those are good reasons. There's nothing wrong with those. But for us, it was, I knew gutturally that if we didn't go, I would have regret. Even though I couldn't see what was going to happen on the civilian side, I knew it may sound goofy to some, I knew I had to go, even though I couldn't see beyond the headlights. And even though our army and JAG career you know, if we were lucky enough to keep stumbling into promotions with amazing teams could have been fantastic too. So it wasn't a negative, negative choice. It was just an organic one. So give light to that voice on stay or go and be real honest. Cause lots of people have, if they want to be the next rank or they want to be an SJA of this unit, you have to be honest about that. So you don't have regret if you leave and then go, Oh gosh, I should have stayed. And I've watched a lot of people make that decision on both sides of the fence. So, you know, talk about it as a crew with your mentors. For me, the hardest part to answer your question was I knew I was having to retire. The hardest thing for me emotionally was to tell these amazing senior leaders that it helped elevate me and coach taught and mentor me over the years. That was the hardest part. My call to them wasn't, hey, we're considering retiring. My call to them was, my gosh, ma'am, I'm so grateful for the opportunity you gave me that I didn't deserve. It was hard for me to share with them, but I had to. And I called yeah. all of them. I called them and I said, thank you. I have to retire. And then we had the discussion about that. And then the, the other part of your question was, I made the affirmative choice for us. And I talked with my better half about this was I didn't want to bring on the additional stress when I'm still leading and humbled to be part of this team and, and living our adventure with trying to balance that and everything that comes with trying to find a job on the outside. So I made the affirmative decision, like, okay, we are in until the last day. And I said, I'm not going to start pushing out resumes. I'm not going to do all that stuff. I'm going to live in the moment, take care of my people, which I felt very strongly about. And then we're going to, once we're retired, then we'll dive in. And then on top of that, I just had this discussion with a real senior leader the other day. We also took 60 days off, so to speak. And I retired and then I just breathed, quite frankly. I didn't realize how tired I was. You know, we row all those years. You love it. You adore it. There's ups and downs like anything else, but I was exhausted and I didn't know it. I was surprised how tired I was once I was able to fully breathe. So we took the 60, almost 90 days, actually, all of that leave time that had built up. So this assumes you're in that position to do that, right? So if you're thinking about that, I've talked about this with lots of people over the years, just take that time to do absolutely nothing. That reset time, was really powerful for me. And then for me, it was one October. I said, okay, now it's time to get at it. I got to go back to work. What are we going to do? And so that relaxed time where I gave myself permission just to be with the kids, with my spouse, just decompressing and celebrating our army time was very powerful. So I urge folks to consider that if you can, some people want to go straight to work. They leave Friday, retire, or they report on Monday for us and for others that I've kind of coached through this over the years. You'll be glad you took the time if you can. And then once one October came, I kind of set a deadline. I turned on all the, you know, turned all the knobs and switches and got to work on trying to find the next gig. Yeah. So, you know, you're kind of the opposite. I know a lot of people such as myself were nervous about getting up and to do an allergy and, and jumping out that door as a paratrooper, knowing that it's the great unknown where you were <laughs> sort of in a mid flight and deciding I got to jump right now and just jumped knowing that you didn't know where you were going to land. 
You're, so you're sort of an outlier in that regard. Right. And that's why I share it with it. Because like we were talking before we started, that's everyone's journey. And so I think in fairness to people to decide, I think there's a lot more folks that say, we're used to structure, we're used to organization, we're used to you know con- consistency in some degree in the service. I felt a very strong pull to go, look, I don't know what it is, but I have to trust the gut to go. And then my path after retirement has been a crazy quilt. And I have landed in a place that I, w- I think I was supposed to doing global business, you know, in a 40,000 strong company. I don't know. I just trusted that feeling. And I talked to people about it, by the way, yeah. right? You got to talk and get wisdom, but I, I refuse to not trust my gut. And I got a lot of feedback going, gosh, that's kind of gutsy, you know? And I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. I was just going, I got to follow the beacon. You turned it on, you start doing the LinkedIn and the profiling and the networking and all that stuff. And as we talked before we came on, you really have not done a lawyer type job that quilt, that patchwork career afterwards. Did you know what you wanted to do? What was your thought process when you turned on all those go systems? I knew I didn't want to practice law, you know, quote unquote, out here. I just wasn't drawn to that because I love teams. My true desire is to make teams tick. I love all the things that what Jags get to do, right? And we're different. It's not just practicing law. You're part of something bigger than you. And that drives me. So I knew though out here, I just wasn't drawn to practice law. There was some opportunities that were humbling that I just, I knew, again, I just, I didn't want to go that direction. I wanted to do business. I wanted to make teams tick. So in my head was that's business, right? And how can I parlay my skills? But I was breaking two giant pieces of glass. The first one is, army guy, right? And as you are, you know, military person, when you come out here, that has to translate to the civilian world because people have perceptions and judgments about what that means if they don't understand the service. And the second part for me personally on my adventure was lawyer person, right? Not only that, so I'm going out here going, hey, I want to lead teams and be part of a business and make things rock and roll. It didn't translate organically because people saw army and they saw lawyer and it did not compute literally to them as I was looking for my job. But I knew that is where I needed to go. But there were some dark nights in the sense of like, gosh, where do I fit out here? There was some honest introspection going, gosh, maybe I should practice law. We got a lot of feedback when we retired. Hey, you know, the world's your oyster and you can do those things. And I, I was grateful for that. But I also internally felt like this is not going to be an easy transition. I kind of knew I had to buckle in, like I said, get ready to jump out of the aircraft and do the best I could. And I networked and I did my LinkedIn and I did all the resumes with the things that resume people say you need to do. And I can share some thoughts on that if you wish. But I also was very lucky in a very strange lightning strike set of circumstances. I get to teach at UT Law, right? There's a there's a line 50 miles long. I'm just an adjunct class, but I still get to pay it forward for our JAG course, for the service, and for young lawyers. You know, the purpose of the course is really to create rock star lawyers and teach them things that are not taught in law school. So I'm still tethered to the law. So uniquely, I'm still able to stay connected with our profession in that regard, I know, by the way, we've created four or five judge advocates out of our class. You know, it's it's just powerful what we get to do and expanding our JAG family. So I say all that to say I still get to do the stuff in the law. It keeps me tethered enough to the law that scratches that proverbial itch for me and all those years of experience and the stuff. And then my business path made its way as it did. So I know I'm a unique circumstance in that regard, but my message to everybody is you got to figure out where you don't want regret to be. I knew I had to go out and go, but it was hard. It's not easy. So let's talk about that. It was hard. How did you finally break in? We talked about those two things, that translation problem, the translation hump that you have to get over. 
How did it happen? How did you finally get to where you wanted to go? So the first is I networked my backside off, right? And because of our JAG connection, this is where the JAG connection and friends and people that you care about were opening doors for me to meet people all over the Austin area. And so I was seeing three, four, five people a day, which was great building relationships. And, and I was kind of going just for mentorship, like, what do I need to know? But that wasn't operationalizing into a job because it's hard to translate some of what we did over with ease. And so I met hundreds, literally hundreds of people over months. And then I was adjusting my resume as everyone said I needed to adjust it. And I did my LinkedIn like they said I need to do it. And there's a lot of well-intentioned advice out there. It can be very overwhelming, by the way. I found it overwhelming. And this person would say it this way, this person says it this way. They're both highly accomplished. And I didn't know how to reconcile. So I had a moment after about four months of networking and no job. And I, I said, I'm going to rewrite my resume the way I want it. I did this in the army, like we're in the army family, but also kind of like, you know, we can innovate and do things in the military too. And I kind of would push and challenge here and there. And I finally said, I, <laughs> I love all y'all. I love the wisdom, but I'm going to do it my way. So I rejiggered my LinkedIn and I rejiggered my resume to speak from my heart about who I was, which means I took away all the eyes. I increased productivity 25%. That stuff was grading me, but that's what everyone keep telling me. Operationalize your experience, 25% this, 50% that. And I struggled with that internally, but I did it because that's what all the wisdom said I should do. So when I finally said, I'm just done, you got to be wise with your words and how you approach it. I get all that. The door started to open. My point here being find your path out there, trust with, talk with trusted agents. But once I started to be my organic self, literally within a week, I had a job because it was about me and, and it was an operations job in a vast growing business here in Austin. And, and I was humbled to get any job. And onward I went. And then that's created a set of dominoes that has yielded now where I feel very comfortable in my skin to be able to leverage my legal expertise. I don't do legal work, but the complexity of solving problems and analyzing things and assessing risk and nuance and all those things we do as lawyers, particularly in the military and leading teams has manifested here in a way where I get to exercise all those muscles in a way that's truly food for the soul. So what does networking look like? I mean, we hear about networking, this is networking, but you going through four months of networking, was this meeting, was this phone calls, was this Zoom calls? You know, you, you never go and ask, can I have a job? But that's the line you're hoping they throw you, but you never got it. So what does right. networking look like? So for me, it was literally cups of Joe and having a beer. I wanted to go meet people in person. And that was, this is where our relationships as your advocates are hard earned, you know, stuff over the years of just amazing people we get to work with in service go out here and they just start going, Hey, you need to talk to Johnny and Linda. And so I would go talk to Johnny and Linda and they were some real powerhouse folks, but it wasn't manifesting in a way, like you said, to, I was like, Super, met 500 people, but it, it wasn't creating a job, right? I and, spent a hell of a lot of money on coffee and beer. Right. And I was tired and I was confused, quite frankly. I was like, I, I don't know what to do here. So two nuggets of wisdom came out of that. Number one, you can have what I would call networking fatigue, right? It was just too much. I was doing that full, it was a full-time job trying to find a full-time job, right? This and meeting everybody. Now, uniquely, those relationships that I created and was lucky to get to meet manifested into years later now in a way that those relationships have parlayed in different ways I could never expect it. So it's goodness that I did it, but I was smoked. I was like, geez, I don't know what to do here. So here's a piece of advice that I will share for whatever it's worth. I mean, these are my you know four cents. And I'm glad, by the way, for anyone listening, linking with me and call. Let's talk. Because it's important that our greater family has honest discussions about this as you navigate all the things in your life and make these decisions. Here's kind of how I would articulate and tell me if it makes sense. Translating is really important. I kept being told, oh, what's your elevator speech, Case? Your elevator pitch, right, which is who you are and what you want. 
all I knew was I wanted to be on a team. I love leading teams. The more complex, the better. Put me in, coach. That really was my elevator speech. The problem with that is all of your helping hands, let's call them, all these people in the world out here, to include retired Jags that have moved on to positions in all sorts of organizations everywhere, it is harder for your helping hands to help you if they can't link you with a particular thing. And I totally failed at the elevator speech. Like I, I physically was like, everyone quit telling me to have the elevator speech because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say, except, look, I want to be part of a team. I'm not afraid to work hard. Just let me leverage that. That doesn't work in civilian speak because they don't know where to put you. So to those that will do it better than I, if you can have your elevator pitch, meaning like you just asked me, what is it? If you know what you want to do and you can articulate that, be prepared to share that with these helping hands while you network, because here's how it goes. And depending on the seniority of the person leaving our JAG Corps, you know, in listening to some prior podcasts, you know, if you're a younger judge advocate leaving and you can kind of start new and earn your stripes can be amazing. You're more senior. It's a diff more difficult transition for lots of reasons, as you well know. And we can talk about those if you wish. But I was very frustrated with not being able to give my elevator speech, but I said I refuse. All I know is I, I know how to work hard. I love people. You put a team of hardworking folks together, like we see the military, amazing things can happen. But the helping hands, and now I'm lucky to kind of be in a position of being a helping hand, where the power of helping hands helps you is when you're not even there. For instance, let's say you have a good elevator speech and you're at that coffee or having a brew and you say, here's what I'm thinking I want to do. Well, that helping hand is going to be at a meeting three weeks from now or at a function or a party or a shindig talking with another person of significance. And they're going to say, hey, I'm thinking about this job that I have. And then your helping hand goes, okay, that's Tom. And then the relationship creates the space for you. But if you don't have a good elevator speech, maybe not the right word, but if they don't know what it is you want to do, it's hard for them to connect those dots for you. So I failed in that regard, quite frankly, and was unable to articulate what I wanted because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted. And I read all the postings of the jobs and what they are. And I just kind of glommed on the ones that felt good. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. was like, Ooh, that sounds fun. And I kind of went to the guns in that regard. So if you have an elevator pitch, if you know what you want to do, it is worth your time to be able to articulate it because then the helping hands can connect dots for you and open doors that you wouldn't otherwise be able to open. Helping hands with resumes and LinkedIn profiles. You can read or listen to 10 different people, get 10 different recommendations on how you're structuring your resume, how you're structuring LinkedIn profile. You saw it firsthand, you experienced it. What's your advice on those? And I've seen hundreds of resumes, by the way, in my jobs and work now. I mean, so I, I've seen lots and lots. I have lots of treadwear in this thing. My advice first, and this is just guttural, is don't let it make you crazy. You're not going to be able to reconcile the 452 pieces of advice. And that's why I say default to your inner monologue and comma, articulate who you are, right? As a hiring person that has a global team in a, you know, publicly traded company I'm looking for and others, and this is all the, all the, you know, the beer drinking and the coffees, they're saying the same thing to me. If they're looking for who you are, and this is where the power of being a judge advocate and power of being in military service, grit, right? Ability to deal with complex matters and create normalcy out of it. It's amazing what we bring to the table. So who you are is much more powerful than what you did. Now, the problem with a lot of places is, is, oh, I did I did 500 things. I did 600 things. It kind of goes against our culture. And it was certainly for me. So once I let that go and started talking about the team I was just humbled to be on, the doors opened. Literally, they open. So give yourself space. Get some good advice. Talk with people you care about. But there is a cut line where you need to not take all of that on because it's impossible to do. So you know, you decide when you've got enough info and then you make your good guttural choice. And then really focus on who you are. 
and who you are as an art form. You know, I, I tell people when they go into interviews, what are the four things you want the hiring committee to, to know about who you are? And you literally list the four of them. Okay, I have grit. I've got depth of, ex depth of experience. I like to have fun. And you know, number four, you know, whatever number four is for you on who you are. And if you have those four things kind of drilled into your brain, no matter what question, if you get to the interview stage, they ask you, you hit on one of those four things. It helps you give form. And it may sound very simple, but in one sense it is, in one sense it's not so simple. Those four things also drive your resume because I need to be able to see who you are. And then as a subset of that, what you've done informs who you are, okay? And so I can speak more about that. And again, I welcome any inputs from folks that want to call and just kind of chat through this in detail. So that's the, the part on the resume and there's an art form to it. Now, if you're going to apply in the robots, I call the robots, right? If you're going to go in through the robots and all these giant things, you simply must make sure the words that they are looking for in there. Otherwise, you'll never get past robot phase. Skillsinker.com. That's right. <laughs> but in the nuance and the power of our JAG family is most of the best jobs come through relationships. Sure. That's why we're here talking to you. That's why I'm so grateful that you do this podcast so we can just talk about it. And there's depth in that. And so if you can align your resume with who you are, because you do have to have a resume, you can't not do it. Sure. It needs to be who you are. And then LinkedIn, it's interesting. I, in the last two weeks, I've gotten LinkedIn where people have written me out of the blue from across the world literally and said, hey, your LinkedIn profile caused me to change my LinkedIn profile, which to me was, I was like, wow, it's, it's very humbling, number one, but very interesting dynamic. And the reason in my LinkedIn profile, it's not about me. It's about what drives me, who I am, what I'm passionate about. And so as people are looking for the best teammates to hire in law firms and otherwise, because I've worked with some of the biggest law firms in the world, who you are, and yes, there's technical expertise. But as I heard in the prior podcast, we as JAGs are more than that. And so your trick, you know, your challenge, your, you know, exam here is how to write the words in such a way that it's humble. It's really who you are and shows the depth of the experience, not just in the law, but in the world of people dynamics. That's the power our JAGs bring to the world. There is plenty out there. It's just hard to sometimes find it. And this causes me one other thing I'll share with you. Key decision points up front early on that I watched go different directions is, are you going to go to the job or are you going to go to the place, right? Because you may be drawn to go do a certain job, but that certain job may not be where you want to live. You have a really strategic decision to make. And I've watched this end in just unfortunateness. Be guttural and trust your gut. Because if you go to the job, but you don't like living there, but you think you need that job, at some point, those will converge. And it's usually not in the side of happy times. Or you go to the place and go, look, this is where I want to be. And then you find the job. Now, it can go either way for everybody. But I urge that consideration early on. The Thomas family took the idea to go to where we wanted to live and then found the job. And in the long run, that worked for us. But just, you know, another pearl for folks to consider, that is really, a got to think real hard about that. You've had the distinction of sitting on the other side of the hiring table. What are some advice you have, if you any, on interviews and approaching the interview? Research, how do we, how should we do a research? Negotiating salaries, any advice you have on those mm. things? Yeah, the salary one's an interesting one. Just remember, everything's negotiable. That's hard for me. I so struggle. It's like, I don't know what I'm worth. I don't even know what to answer the question is. Like, come on, man. You tell me and then I'll go. But there is prudence in, it depends on your personality, but the dance of them first or you first, right? And there's whole differing opinions on that. Mine was them first. And then I know where the benchmark is, right? And then over time, you start to learn what the true benchmarks are. But if you're first starting out, that's hard to navigate 
get some wisdom. I was always like, I, I would let them come to me first and then I would be able to negotiate back to that. But everything's negotiable. Just remember that for sure. And the best talent always rises. Interviews, there's so much input on interviews out there. This is my other piece I would mention at this point is find the place you want to work with culture. Again, you're thinking, oh gosh, shiny job. It's got the pay band I want, looks magical but you must do research before the interview and find out if their culture fits with you because you're not gonna find the military out. It doesn't translate. There are some things that go over, but you're never gonna find that sort of team again. So if you go in with the idea that you're gonna walk into that sort of selfless servant leadership team, military style, it just doesn't exist. It exists in different ways out here. It's still good, it's just different, but you need to go in there having a clear understanding of the culture. Because you can get the job, but if the culture doesn't fit for you, and it doesn't, I heard it was listening to the prior podcast, you know, just billable hours makes people want to stab their eyes out because they're used to just heavy lifting, right? And now they're doing billable hours. So understand the culture and then have your four nuggets of wisdom about who you are. Because then if you really know who you are on those four things, no matter what goofy question they ask, and sometimes they're goofy, like what superhero do you want to be? That one drives me nuts. Well, you know, if you've covered points one through three in the interview questions thus far, then you use point number four to answer the superhero question. So there's give it some structure, but use the interview to dig into culture. For instance, let's say, Tom, if I'm interviewing you and then you ask me a question and I was not afraid to ask questions back to the team because it's just as important that you fit for us than we fit for you, right? Having hired a number of people around the globe. So it showed a depth of a judge of chutzpah when I would have a candidate actually ask a poignant question back at us that was a no kidding question, right? Not the, oh, you know, I'm deferred to you. Ask me a hard question. And if a candidate would do that, that tells me you got guts, that you're, you like to innovate, that you're of the ilk in an organization that needs innovation in global business. So give life to that. Be ready to, to ask a question back that's a poignant question. And if you ask a question and they go, you know, you can see the room change. What does that tell you about the culture? You know, instantly that's not where you want to work. And so you have to reconcile that in your head before. And if you get too attached to how shiny the job is and you're not honest, you may get the job, but I've watched this happen more times than I can express. They have the job and then six months in, they're like, I have got to get the hell out of here. Right? So did you find yourself in any situation where you were offered a job and you just said that this isn't what I want? I did. It was very interesting because I was sort of, and I wouldn't say getting to the desperate point, but I was like, I, I was, <laughs> I just, I just want to be part of a team. So it was, does not compute, right? So I got an offer to a job and then they rescinded it. And so I was already emotional, like, oh, this is going to be fine. I can get to work here and get to learn in the business world. And then they rescinded it. But because I was not listening completely to my inner voice, right? Even though I heard it, I was like, oh, I need the job and this looks like it fits. And by God, I've been networking for four months. It worked its way out. So I was already internally feeling like this doesn't quite fit. They made the offer and then I was going, okay, I'm probably going to accept it. And then they reneged it for some business reasons on the other side. So it worked its way out. But the point being for all of us navigating this is as best you can trust your gut in those regards. And then if you have something you want to bounce around, Hey, call me, we can talk through it because there is a, is an art to this too. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's an art. So case you approached me, you responded to my call to, for people to volunteer others or themselves to come on. We're coming up on the 30 minutes that I tried to keep it. There's probably some points that you had in the back of your crawl that I didn't ask. If you have any of those, Here's your chance or forever hold your peace until we reach out to you. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. And again, I'm open for anybody that else wants to have a sideline chat on this. So one, thank you for doing this. I watch particularly senior officers when they get ready to make the transition, they put on their resume CEO. 
for example, right? Because they've run large organizations or general counsel because they've run large organizations. And you have to be very careful with that because out in the civilian world to include law firms, they're just organized differently. They do not operate like we do. So you have to be real careful in the translation. And this is where folks like me can be helpful to the team out there is to be able to say that right. For instance, you in one sense, yes, you have led a large organization, but you weren't responsible for P&L. You don't know the dynamic global business world. Yes, you ran your battalion or your brigade or your aircraft carrier, but that doesn't necessarily equate to CEO. So even though you're senior, if you start putting CEO on there, you are sending messages and it, th that will preclude opportunities that you may be perfect for because you're leading in too heavy yeah. on what you think you are equivalent to in the civilian world. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know no, there's some nuance there, perfect, but um, so. I watched that happen a lot. And the same thing, we wouldn't take, I asked this question just to some general officers the other day, would you take someone that's a CEO in the civilian world of, let's say, of a 40,000 person company and immediately make them, you know, a, a core commander yeah. in the military? Heck no. So, yes, you bring military service and so much to the table. Don't get me wrong. But how you translate that, you have to be careful to because we would never do the inverse, just lateral someone over that's been a CEO for 25, 30 years and make them a, a flag officer. Right. So, yeah. Those honest conversations, I just appreciate that we have because it's hard to navigate and you, you have such depth of heart and leadership to bring to the table, but how you articulate it is an art. And those of us that have made the cross of the bridge are the ones that can help people navigate it. Chase, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your willingness to come on, your enthusiasm and your willingness to help come right through the, the screen here. Well, thank and I mean it. That's why I'm grateful to have the time with you. And thanks for the invite. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.